Welcome back to Vertical Vision. I'm Ernest Finglia, and we're continuing our study in the life of Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about what Jesus was doing before he was born? It's not something we generally think about, and maybe you've never thought about it. But throughout the Old Testament, we see times where Jesus actually appears and connects with people. And so today we're going to look at some of these appearances that are called Christophanies, and hopefully you'll get a better picture of the ministry and the heart of Christ. So grab your Bibles and let's dig in. When you think of Jesus and the things that uh, Jesus did, more often than not, our minds go to the Gospels, right? And we know the stories of Jesus and the things that he did and all of that. We might think about the book of Revelation and think of Jesus there and the things we see him doing and the glory and the power and the humility as the Lamb of God and all these things about him there. But have you ever thought about what Jesus did before he was born? Have you ever thought about what Jesus did in the Old Testament? I kind of had this, this picture of place kicker on a football team where he's sitting on the bench and the father's doing his thing in creation and the Holy Spirit's there in creation and Jesus was there in creation. But, you know, did he just sit on the bench the rest of the time going, okay, when are you going to put me in, coach? When are you going to put me in, coach? I'm ready. And, and just kind of sit there waiting? Well, no. Jesus has been involved with the work of redemption and salvation and connection with people from the very beginning. He's the creator. We saw that last week as we looked at the deity of Jesus. And then this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus actively present and working and moving in the Old Testament. All right. So with this in mind, in the Old Testament, we have three kind of categories of appearances or imagery of God, Jesus, okay? Uh, there are things called theophanies, and those are appearances of God in the Old Testament. There are Christophanies, which are tangible, physical appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament, and then there are types, okay? And types are pictures of what Jesus would do and who he would be. The Passover lamb in the book of Exodus, perfect example of a type, all right? The Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus, our Passover lamb, all right, who was sacrificed for our sins. And when the blood of Christ is put over our lives, then the judgment of God passes over us and we are saved through Christ. So Christophanies, Theophanies, and types. What we're going to look at this morning are the Christophanies, all right, the appearances where Jesus actually shows up, most of them, physically and engages with people. To do this, we're going to look at three different things. Okay, last week, like I said, we looked at Jesus being God. So how do we know that what we see in the Old Testament, what we're going to look at, is actually Jesus? How do we know for sure? Well, we're going to look at three things. First of all, the fact, as we saw last week, that Jesus is Yahweh. Remember, we looked at how the Old Testament talks about God being Elohim. It's a plural uh, name for God. But then when God makes Adam and Eve, it's the first time we see the personal name of God, Yahweh. All right. And so it's talking about Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. And we see that in the Bible over and over and over again. And that Jesus is, in fact, Yahweh. We'll also look at the fact that nobody has ever seen the Father. Nobody's ever seen God, period. And then we'll look at how Jesus, according to the book of Micah and the New Testament, 
was already engaged and working in the Old Testament. All right? So for the first one, I want us to turn over to uh, John chapter 12, okay? Verse 37, you might be saying, well, Ernest, you, you skipped Isaiah 6. Well, we're actually going to talk about Isaiah 6 from John. But I wanted to give you the, the reference there. So in, in Isaiah chapter 6, King Uzziah has died. And Isaiah sees the Lord, okay? At first it says the Lord, it's not all caps. That's Adonai in Hebrew, okay? But then as the encounter goes on, it is the Lord, Yahweh, that's speaking. And Isaiah sees the glory of Yahweh, the power, the splendor, the throne. And he's just in awe and the train of his robe fills the temple and, and he's just absolutely undone. And he says, woe is me, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips and a man who's of a people of unclean lips. And he realizes his sin and his need for being cleansed. And then the Lord sends an angel to touch his lips with the coal from the fire and purifies him. Well, look at what John has to say about the Lord that Isaiah was engaging with. Verse 37 of chapter 12. Though he had done so many signs, that's Jesus, before them, and this is right after he's uh, raised Lazarus from the dead and he'd been doing so many things, they still did not believe in him. And that's amazing, isn't it? You know, you've got Lazarus right there. What do they do? Do they believe in Jesus? No, they want to kill Lazarus and Jesus. Was, I, I think about that, it's like, if Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, why on earth would you want to kill Lazarus to get him out of the way when Jesus could just bring him back? You know, he's already done it once. He could do it again. But this is the hardest of the heart. And that's what John shows here. They did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he, uh, what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, and this is, that's 53 before, this is chapter 6 now. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now listen, Isaiah said these things because he, Isaiah, saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So what John is telling us here is that Isaiah, in seeing Yahweh enthroned in the heavenlies, actually saw Jesus. All right? That's who Isaiah encountered in that vision. When you look at scripture, you see time and time again where people are scared to death when they have an encounter with Yahweh or the angel of Yahweh because they make the connection that they're interacting with God and they're scared to death because that means they're going to die and we'll see why in just a minute. But while we're in John, turn over to John chapter 1 verse 18. And remember, John's gospel focuses on the deity of of Jesus. That's his main focus. And so this is brought out time and time again. We see this here where in John chapter 1 verse 18 he says no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's right or father's side, he has revealed him all right so that's kind of worded a little little weird no one ever the new american standard says no one at any time has ever seen god but god who is at the side of the father has made him known to us 
And when you take into account what we studied about the Trinity and Jesus being God, it makes perfect sense. So no one has ever seen God. But Jesus had, and he reveals the Father to us. Over in uh, chapter 6, verse 46, this is reiterated. It says, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So it's pretty clear, I think, that no one's ever seen God. In Exodus um, chapter 33, verse 20, that's when Moses says to God, I want to see you. I, I want to see you face to face. I want to encounter you so close, closer than I ever have before. And God says to him, nobody can see my face and live. You see my face you die. So I'll tell you what, I'll let you see my glory, but that's it. Okay, I'll let you see my glory, and that'll be enough. So there's this understanding, and we'll just see this come out time and time again, that people understood when they see God, they're going to die. But because it's Jesus, he's packaged in a way that they're not going to die. All right, but they're still connecting personally with God. So we see that he is Yahweh, that nobody has seen God except Yahweh, and it's Yahweh that's revealed him to us. And then Micah 5.2, turn over there. This is the prophecy concerning where the Messiah, Jesus, would be born. All right? It's right after Jonah. So Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, real tiny, tiny town, from you shall come forth for me, and God is speaking, one whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Where it says coming forth, the better translation is goings forth, okay? The ESV puts it in a way where it's that picture of from old, the one who will be coming out of Bethlehem, the Messiah, actually has been coming since the days of old and is from eternity. His goings forth, going into our human experience, has always been happening. And so with these things in mind, let's look at some Christophanies. Um, we'll begin in Genesis chapter 3. Always start at the beginning. Where's the first place that Jesus shows up? And it's here in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 21. The notes I gave you said 20, but it's actually through 21. Uh, we need that verse as well. So in verse 8, they've already eaten of the fruit. They've disobeyed the Lord, okay? And listen to this and, and understand this is really happening. This is not a vision. You see that they're hearing and they're hiding. They don't want to be seen by the Lord. And it says, they heard, Adam and Eve, the sound of the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. So we see the personal name and the plural, okay, title, the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So it's that, especially now, you know how it's so muggy and stuff during the daytime? And so in the morning, it's really nice where you can actually open up the windows and it's cool and you get a breeze in the house and all. So here's God, the Lord, Yahweh, walking in the garden. They hear it and the man and his wife hear themselves. Uh-oh, here comes Yahweh. Let's hide, Okay. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me. So he's blaming God and he's blaming Eve. All right? Just so human nature, all right? The woman that you gave to me, 
she gave and I ate. And that's what happened there. Um, and then the Lord said, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God, and you see this continuous use of Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, the personal name and the plural title together, all right, within this passage. He said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely bring, multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Because you have listened, and to the Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So it's specifically showing we have Yahweh here on the scene, okay? I believe that's Jesus. And there is a manifestation where you're hearing him walk. His presence is there. There's dialogue going on. And look at what happens. Here we are. The creator is now here at the fall. He convicts them of their sin. He calls them on the carpet for their sin. He judges them for their sin. Now you're cursed. Death has come in, just as I had promised you. Death is now a part of your life. But then there's also the promise that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, would crush the head of the serpent, who is a symbol of Satan, a representative of Satan. So we've got the conviction of the sin, the judgment of the sin, the promise of the coming Messiah, and then the Lord provides a covering of skins to cover the shame and the consequences and repercussions of their sin. Some say that was a lamb that the Lord sacrificed for their covering. It doesn't say that. It, I've, I've heard one pastor say, it preaches well. It sounds great. We don't know that. What we do know is that in all probability, some animal died to cover their sin. And we see that throughout the Old Testament sacrifice, pointing to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, our Passover lamb. So right out of the gate, I believe we see Jesus right here at the very fall of humanity, already there providing the means for which the redemption of humanity will come. Okay? I think that's totally awesome. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, we see Melchizedek. Now, some argue that this is a type, and I would agree in the sense that Melchizedek, at the very least, is a type, a picture of Jesus. And I've really vacillated over the years back and forth about, well, maybe it is just a type. Well, no, maybe it is Jesus. Maybe, and, and I'm back and forth. And especially after studying for this, this class and all, I've gone back to leaning more toward this as Jesus. And you can look at Psalm chapter uh, 110, verse 4, and read Hebrews 7, because what we see about him sure does sound a whole lot like Jesus. Okay, so let's look at this. Chapter 14 and verse 17. 
After his return from the defeat of this guy with a really long name that's hard to pronounce, uh, Cheddar Cheese or something like that, but, uh, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. So Abraham has just taken his few guys and they've gone out against the kings who have captured the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and along with it, Lot, who is living in Sodom and rescues him. So the king of Sodom comes out to greet him in the valley of the king. And there's also a second king that comes out to greet him at the same time. Verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So, here is Melchizedek. His name means, and we see all this in Hebrews chapter 7. It really brings it all out. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. That's the title of Jesus. Melchizedek is a king of Salem. Salem means peace. He's the king of peace. That is a title of Jesus. We see in Hebrews 7 that Abram worshipped him. Nobody worships, worships anybody but God, okay? And we'll see in other places where the angel of Yahweh is worshiped and it's that only time where an angel does not say, hey, don't worship me, I'm just an angel. Don't do that. He's actually worshiped by, uh, the, um, by Jacob and, and by uh, Samson's parents, okay? And there's a couple other places there too. But... He also, and I think this is interesting, he's the priest of the Most High God. He is king and priest, which only Jesus is king and priest. In the Hebrew structure, in Israel, the king could not be the priest and the priest could not be the king. But Jesus is king and priest, and so was Melchizedek. And Melchizedek brings out bread and wine to Abram. Jesus the king of peace, the king of righteousness, broke bread at the Last Supper, giving the cup and the bread to the disciples. Communion, koinonia, relationship. So for me, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but I really think this qualifies as a Christophany. If not, well, it's a really awesome type, a great picture of Jesus. Either way, we have imagery of Jesus here, okay? Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. And I'm skipping over a lot of manifestations of Jesus. We'll go back to a few, but uh, there's just a ton of them. But this is where Jacob is now running from Laban. Chapter 32, and we're uh, in verse 22. So this is what's happened. Jacob is tired of being taken advantage of by Laban. So they pack up and they leave. Laban's hacked. And now he's on the hunt. And in all probability, I think he was going to do some serious harm to Jacob. Well, on the other side of it, you've got Esau. And Esau's coming with 400 of his armed men. And in all probability, he does not want to do well toward, toward Jacob. So he is literally caught between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Well, he clings to God. Verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He then took and sent them across, to the, across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man, okay, not the angel of the Lord, but a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. 
So he's hanging on with everything he's got, and he's got one bad leg. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, the heel catcher, the surplanter, the deceiver. That's my name. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Don't think that Jacob got the best of God, okay? He'll make that very clear in just a moment. But he's hanging on for a blessing. He is in a bad spot. Death breathing down his neck from Laban. Death possibly coming from Esau. It's not a good situation. And they're stuck in the middle. And then... It says, then Jacob asked him, verse 29, tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? I've given you a new name, but you don't need to know my name. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. Okay, so going back, we'll see it in, we already talked about it. God told Moses, nobody sees my face and lives. And Jacob's like, I just saw God face to face. And he didn't kill me. He didn't kill me. The word there, where he names that place, Peniel, means the face of God. Here is this man, and John tells us nobody has ever seen God except God except Jesus. He's it. And so here's this manifestation of God in a form that can engage Jacob very personally and yet doesn't kill him in the glory of God. So he's there. Joshua chapter uh, 5, verse 13 through 15. And I want you to notice these things as we go through. Jesus is showing up when there are major things happening within the history of Israel and the history of humanity. And he is guiding and directing and blessing and correcting and helping. And he is there being faithful. And this is another time. So now Moses is gone. Joshua has just led the people into Canaan. They're just outside Jericho. They're getting ready to start to take the land that God has given to them. And who shows up? Well, let's take a look. It's the commander of the Lord's army. Verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And I love this. And he said, no. Oh, okay. All right. Um, you know, it makes me think of, you know how people pray for their football teams to win and stuff? It's like, are you for the Packers or not, Lord? And I think God says, no. You know, they can just do whatever they do from uh, their practice and everything. But that's neither here nor there. But, but the uh, commander says, no. But I am the commander of the army of Yahweh. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him. Okay? He is worshipping the commander. And said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of Yahweh's army said to Joshua, and interestingly, Joshua is Yeshua, which is the same name as Jesus. Okay? Just a little side note there. Um, don't have to make anything of it, but that's Jesus' name, Yeshua. And he says, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Have we ever heard this before? Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground? Yeah, all the way back at the beginning, when Moses meets the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. 
And God speaks out of the bush, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And I'm wondering if Joshua was just like going, oh boy, oh boy, oh man, this, this is God. Moses had this thing happen and now here I am. I mean, just what kind of things went through his head? This just must have been a mind blower. It's like God is on the scene. How encouraging is that? The commander of Yahweh's army is there. And then last one is Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. And I'm just touching on some of these because I, I want to give a broad picture, but we're just scratching the surface, okay? And this one you know. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar has uh, built his, his uh, idol, and he commands everybody to bow down and worship. And there's three guys standing and going, we're not bowing down. And so you know how the story goes. Nebuchadnezzar gives them the opportunity to do what he says. And he says, no way, I'm not going to do it. Uh, they say that. And so he throws them into the furnace. And in throwing them in, the, the soldiers who were doing it, they were dying from the heat just at the entrance of it, right? They didn't even survive getting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. So there they are. They're in the furnace. It's been heated up seven times, hotter than normal. And Nebuchadnezzar says this. Didn't we put three guys in there? Yeah. But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, he was a polytheist, okay? But he's looking in there and he's going, there's one in there that, you know, it reminds me of the old Sesame Street, which one of these things is not like the other, you know? <laughs> Do you think that, you know, it's like, okay, there's somebody in there and, and he looks like a son of the gods. Now, the beautiful thing I think is, is through God's hand and his work with Nebuchadnezzar, in time, Nebuchadnezzar bows his knee before the Lord and says, there is no other God but the God of Israel, you know, so here, I believe, you know, some people say, no, it's just an angel. And, you know, it's not specific. So I'm not going to be dogmatic. But I do believe, just because of the way it's worded, I believe that Jesus was there. And they're just walking around, you know. It's not Jesus going, okay, come on, let's get out here quick, you know. It's like, no, they're just hanging out. And it's just amazing to me. And it's blowing Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And... Down the road, he bows his knee to the God of Israel. So there are some Christophanies there, or what, you know, a couple of them, Melchizedek and, and the angel in the furnace, or the person in the furnace, we could debate. Then we have the angel of the Lord. And this is where I really want to kind of close everything up on with this. The angel of the Lord appears 56 times in the Old Testament. Not every time is it Yahweh. But many times it is, and we're not going to go through all of them or anything. But I want us, again, to go to the first place that the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, shows up. And to me, this is very unique, very interesting. It's in Genesis chapter 16. And you would, I would think, this is me, I would think that if God is going to manifest himself, He's going to do it to Abram. You know, as far as the angel of the Lord is concerned, he's already appeared as Melchizedek. He appears before going into Sodom as well. The three men that approach and uh, even, you know, tell, tell uh, Abraham and Sarah, you know, Sarah's going to have a, a baby within a year, you know, when I come back. So Abram's encountered Jesus, Okay. But the angel of the Lord, this manifestation of Yahweh, the first person that he comes to is Hagar, an Egyptian slave who has become the concubine of Abram because Abram 
and Sarai didn't wait on the Lord. And they're like, well, maybe we can help God out. And they just made a mess of things. And here's Hagar suffering the consequences of their actions. And the Lord shows up. Verse 7, the angel of Yahweh found her. I love that. It makes me think of Jesus came to do what? We saw this with Zacchaeus last week. He came to seek and to save the lost. Here's this woman who's pregnant and she's been kicked out by Sarai uh, and she is in the wilderness. And the angel of the Lord found her. I think he went, he knew where he was, she was, but you know, he went looking for her. By a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, have you come from, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, now listen, and this is what you see the angel of the Lord doing a lot. He speaks in first person and third person. He's the angel of the Lord, but then he says things as God. And this is a, this is a case that you know, a lot of people lean on saying this is a manifestation of God, specifically Yahweh, uh, Jesus. So the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring. Well, the Lord made that promise to Abram too. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord, Yahweh, has listened to your affliction. Yahweh heard you. He's heard what you're going through. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord Yahweh who spoke to her. Okay, the angel of the Lord spoke to her. She called Yahweh who was speaking to her and says, you are a God, El, okay, the singular of Elohim, okay, the title for God. You are the God of seeing, for she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. That is awesome. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And that name means the well of the living one who sees me. This is where the angel of the Lord shows up for the first time. He shows up again in chapter 21 when uh, Abram and, or Abraham now and Sarah kick her out because Ishmael's born, or Isaac's born. And they're like, okay, see ya. And now Ishmael's getting ready to die. Well, the angel of the Lord shows up again and says, no, I, I got you. So here's this woman, an Egyptian, not a Jew, and the Lord is there for her and for Ishmael. Going on, Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 and 12. This is where, and we won't read the whole thing, we're familiar with it, but this is where God tells Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your son Isaac. And so they go, and we know the famous question of Isaac, Father, the fire's here, the wood's here, but where's the sacrifice? And Isaac is carrying the wood of the sacrifice on his shoulders. Isaac is a type of Christ, okay? The ram that's sacrificed is a foretelling, a picture of Christ to come. So this is a type, all right? But it's also Jesus present at this situation. So Abraham now has everything laid out. Isaac is bound on the wood and the knife is in the air. And this is what happens. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now listen to the dialogue here. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear Elohim, 
God. But listen to this. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Who's speaking? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is God. I know you fear God. You haven't withheld your son from me. And I believe this is, a, this is Jesus speaking here. This is his story. This is what he's coming to do. In time, he will give his life. The father will give his son as a ransom for all of humanity. As Isaac bore the wood of the sacrifice on his shoulders, Jesus would bear the wood of the cross on his shoulders. And a lot of people, you know, you think, and I think this, this is just a side note, okay? But the cross that Jesus bore, it was probably the cross beam, okay? That's called the patabellum. And so he would have had that on his shoulders. The patabellum was what was used to bar the gates of a city. It was the big crossbar that locked everything out, okay? And Jesus bore the patabellum that kept us out of heaven upon his own shoulders. He opened up the doors of heaven by giving his life as a ransom for us. So we see Isaac carrying the wood of the sacrifice, Jesus carrying the wood of the sacrifice. And I believe Jesus is right here speaking and saying, I know where your heart lies. And then this is called Jehovah Jireh, or he's called Jehovah Jireh at this point by Abraham. The Lord will provide. And God provides a ram for the sacrifice in the thicket, right? And that's again pointing forward to the sacrifice at Calvary, where God provides for himself a lamb, his own son. So this is woven throughout the scriptures. Exodus 3, this is, this is the burning bush. The angel of the Lord is speaking to Moses. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And then from that point on, we see that the angel of the Lord is moving with the children of Israel. God says to Moses, I'm sending my angel before you. Do what he says to do for my name is in him. And in Amos chapter 2, verse 10, Yahweh is speaking and he says, also, it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. So Yahweh is saying, I was the one who led you, but God led them, but it was the angel of the Lord who led them. Okay, so if that's not kind of confusing, that's all right. There's a lot going on. But we see the Lord leading his people from captivity into the promised land. Jesus has delivered us from captivity and brought us into the promised land. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. You know the story. We won't turn there for time's sake. But the angel of the Lord meets Gideon, okay? It's now the time of the judges. And Israel is just all over the place as far as unfaithfulness to God and everything. And so the angel of the Lord shows up and calls Gideon to be the deliverer. This is one of those places where Gideon goes, I've just seen God and I'm a dead man. Well, no, fortunately, God packaged himself in a way that would protect Gideon. In Judges chapter 13, Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, same thing. The angel of the Lord shows up. They talk. The promise of a deliverer. And what do they say after, after Manoah meets, you know, his wife meets the angel first, and then uh, Manoah meets him, and they both are like, we're dead. This is God. We are dead. We have just seen God face to face, and we know what that means. And it's like, I think it's just so funny how we process things, because it's like, if God gives you a promise, why is he going to kill you? You know, it totally defeats the purpose, right? I'm going to give you a son, but I'm going to kill you so you can't have the son. That, that doesn't work. So the Lord is there with them. They understand that they're seeing God, but he's in a tangible, personal format. And I want to finish with this particular one on the angel of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 3. 
This is not a physical manifestation. This is a vision. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So picture this. Joshua is the high priest of Israel. They have come out of captivity, Babylonian captivity, and are resettling Israel. As the high priest, Joshua is the representative of the nation of Israel. And so he's standing before the angel of the Lord as the representative of the people of God, as the priest of the people of God. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said, so it's like he's standing before the angel of the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. So he's speaking first person, third person, which we see Jesus doing all the time. And I'm not saying that's a, a reason to link this, but it's common for, for Hebrew. And, and uh, so anyway, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. The word there for filthy, I'm going to say this in church, okay? But it's excrement, okay? It's not like he fell down in a mud puddle. He's covered with yuck, okay? He is filthy. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, this is the angel, okay? I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Jesus clothes us with the robes of righteousness. He is the one who purifies us and cleans us. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge over for my courts. I will give you the right hand of access. So God's saying this to him. Hear now, Joshua high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch, Jesus. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, Every one of you will invite your, his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So it's a picture of blessing of the people in the land of Israel. But in that day, now some people say, well, that's the day of judgment. That's when, when the second coming of Christ is. And it, it certainly does mean that, I believe, because chapters 12, 13, and 14 deal with the second coming of the Messiah. Okay? But... There's an interesting thing within that speaking of the second coming of Jesus in that in chapter 13, verse 9, it's the statement where I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And it's the very passage that Jesus refers to when he's getting ready to go to the cross, just before he's going to the cross. He's quoting Zechariah 13, 9. And so that's the day of redemption. But then there's also that corporate day of redemption for the land of Israel when Jesus returns as, as king of kings and sets up his kingdom on earth. So I, don't, I, I wonder if it means both because both are alerted, alluded to in those passages. But all of this to say, and I want us to take this home with us. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Before Jesus went to be with the Father, after he rose from the dead, or just before he rose, uh, went to the cross, he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send you another helper, my spirit. 
So in the Old Testament, we see Jesus as God among us, okay? In the Gospels, we see Emmanuel, prophesied of in Isaiah, God with us, God among us, okay, in the Old Testament. He was showing up, Jesus was showing up at different points to facilitate and move forward his plan of redemption and connection with mankind. At the cross and during the incarnation, it's God with us. For 33 years, the incarnate Yahweh is walking amongst people, revealing the heart and the truth of God and God's word, and ultimately giving his life as a sacrifice for our sin on the cross to redeem us and to bring us into fellowship with the Father. The fellowship that was broken in Genesis 3, it becomes the fellowship that's restored in Jesus Christ. And then it goes further in that it's no longer God among us or just God with us. It's God in us. As the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who was in creation, who Paul talks about, who raised Christ from the dead, will also raise our mortal bodies and indwells us. This is an intimacy of relationship that no one in the Old Testament ever knew. No one in the Old Testament called God the Father, Abba, Papa. The intimacy that Jesus has given us, that he facilitated from the fall all the way through to the cross and is with us today, it's there, an intimate relationship with God. I used to really go, man, I wish I could hang out with God the way Moses did or Daniel did. But those were really hit and miss. Okay, only when it needed to happen, God showed up. Jesus showed up. But you and I have the privilege that every day, all day, anytime, anywhere, the spirit of the living God indwells these temples of flesh. He has made his home with us and we have a relationship with him that is unlike anything that was ever before. And I think... Our hearts should be, Lord, we want more of what you provided for us now.